welcome, 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 everybody, to Weekly Roundup with Breaky episode 31. Every week, we keep getting stronger in terms of the updates, in terms of things that are happening in the market. The more time that I spend um, talking to Alex and Tony about the project, and the more time I spend researching what's going on in the market overall, there's no doubt in my mind that there's just so much growth in our near short term and mid to long term future. So uh, with that, I'm going to start off with our project updates. So starting off, our pre-sale opens up again tomorrow. For those of you that haven't stayed up to date, um, for phase two, uh, we're continuing to open pre-sale spots for a limited amount of time every Thursday, so keep a lookout in Discord. <clears throat> Alex or Antonio post uh, in the announcement channel whenever that goes live, so if you were registered for pre-sale for Phase 2, you can use that wallet to mint uh, your Leon straight, fresh out from the mint, and um, you can do that. Um, and that's going to be at a discounted price compared to the public sale. Public sale, again, is a little higher. Uh, your pre-sale is going to be 0.05 ETH. So get that discount. It's going to happen tomorrow. And here's the reason why you would want to do that. Um, talking about our business as usual, the unsexy stuff that I love to cover for Metalion Society and TCFX. Alex Antonio have uh, met with the bank and they have started the process of capital deposit. And they're now waiting on the green light from their notary with the Chamber of Commerce um, so that they can officially register the company because that's the process that's required. Um, they, the lawyer for TCFX, uh, which is uh, a partner with the LEAX law firm, Leaks, um, he was off. He'd taken some days off, I believe about 10 days or so. Uh, he did come back to work on Monday, so they are working with him to get his legal opinion on the different things that they need right now in, on the side of company creation stuff. Um, as I mentioned last week, Alex and Antonio were also trying to get in touch with Michelle Konizinski, who is again a reminder, the founding one of the founding members of WeSeed, one of the largest crowdfunding platforms in the world. And they have been able to secure two days of consulting with him. And again, that's incredible because they are going to be visiting him in Toulouse. <coughs> Excuse me from the 20th to the 22nd of April. There's a lot of things that are planned out for those two days, and I had the opportunity to um, kind of talk talk through some of the pre-work that Alex and Antonio have already done on a lot of things like finances around uh, how much things are going to cost, um, what the price points for things are going to be, what the projections are going to look like, um, so they already have done a ton of homework so that when they go and see Michelle, they're able to have educated conversations around 
uh, all these important things related to TCFX. Because again, reminder, our founders don't like to just sit around and um, start doing things when they can happen. They love to plan things. And that is why I personally love being in the Metaleon family because it's all about strategic planning and setting yourself up for success. Because success is not just dependent on your luck. Yes, a part of it is luck. But at the same time, how do you improve your chances of getting lucky? You keep working hard and keep finding ways to prepare yourself better and put yourself in a position um, to succeed. So uh, they keep showing that in everything they do. So uh, the things that they're going to be discussing with Michelle in those two days when they visit him <clears throat> are going to be uh, financial uh, plan development for the business plan. Um, like I said, Alex and Tony already have a very solid base for that and the research that they've done. Um, they also feel very uh, strong, feel very um, confident about the fact that uh, Michelle mentioned that he is going to be able to share some insights that he has from WeSeed. Um, and again, having those insights uh, would be incredible because that will help us set us up in a way of the competitive advantage um, to make sure that we're successful. Then the other thing that they're going to be talking to him about is um, coming up with the pricing strategy. As I mentioned, the fees that we're going to be charging for providing these services through our platform for crowdfunding and tokenization. Um, and then also, uh, they're planning on discussing a uh, solid communication strategy for the launch of the operations of TCFX, investor research and onboarding, promoting the projects, uh, promoting the product, and then uh, being able to promote it in a way that we attract good quality long-term uh, projects to raise funds on our platform. Because we already mentioned it before. Um, the goal is going to be to try to reach out to projects first that already have a um, existing revenue, have already established themselves in, in a market. There's already data that we can look at. Um, so that ways uh, we're just making sure that we are successful. Um, then lastly, what they're working on, Alex Antonio, are trying to wrap up their business plan and it's something that they are working on very diligently and allocating a lot of time on a daily basis. Um, what a business plan is for those of you that are not familiar with it, it's a web two and pre web two even term in which you come up with a traditional, um, it's, it's like a white paper in web three, but more, uh, very detailed in terms of a traditional business. And that's something I really enjoy and love about Medellin Society is like we do have a solid business behind our Web3 ecosystem. And that's going to fuel the revenue share part of it and the ecosystem. Um, so coming up with a business plan is not an easy task. There's a lot of details that goes into it. I have had to create one as part of a class. And I understand it's not an easy task when you have to do it for an actual business. So um, I can't wait to uh, get my hands on it. Hopefully I can see it. Um, and I believe it's going to be something really incredible because TCFX itself 
is a really incredible platform and the business around it. I'm pretty certain with Michelle's insights and the detail orientation of Alex Antonia, it's just going to be perfect. Those are all the updates I had this week. And if a pattern, if you notice a pattern, I share something every week with you. There's things that are currently under works and there's things that have already happened. So the things that are currently under works every week, those things are getting done. And these guys are moving fast and moving fast doesn't mean being reckless. Moving fast means being very strategic about how do you execute on parallel things at the same time. So you're just, there's no part of, um, your actions that require you to just wait for things because usually starting a business, creating a company, all those things, they're not straightforward. There's like, I, I have been sharing with you guys. It's a lot of things that happen at the same time. So it's crazy how these guys keep on executing. So those of you that are following these weekly roundups every week, you know, that the updates that I've been sharing, they are moving forward. Everything's happening. And it's crazy how optimistically we're looking at about two to three weeks from now for the company creation itself to be done. Getting things operational, um, getting those price points in, uh, getting the first onboarding of the first client, all those things are going to come eventually. But it's crazy how fast uh, we're moving with this company creation process and the licensing um, that I've already talked about. So very excited about all the things that are to come for TCFX and Metalion Society together um, with um, these amazing uh, updates from our founders every week. Uh, with that, I would like to switch over to our project uh, market updates. We already covered the project updates. Uh, so there's a lot of things happening in the market. I have been following Operation Choke Point 2.0. And again, those of you that do not know what Operation Choke Point is, um, Operation Choke Point 1.0, which was the first one, happened in around 2008, 10. Um, and that was to basically the idea behind it was some government agencies came together to kind of, I wouldn't say unconstitutionally, but also under the radar and in a very shady way. They locked out certain industries from the banking system of the US. So if you belong to certain industries, and I think uh, gambling uh, and a bunch of other industries were absolutely cut off from the US uh, financial systems. And there's no law that was passed for that around that time. It was just something that happened under the radar. A similar attack has been happening on crypto um, and that is why it's Operation 2.0, because now it's the crypto industry. And it's not even it's not even speculation at this point. It's absolutely factual what's really happening. And that's why I cover these updates, because it's so obvious to notice these things in, um, in the news at this point, if you're looking for the right information. Um, so updates from this week of what the government agencies are doing to crack down on crypto and keep pushing it further away from traditional, um, getting access to banking in the U S, uh, the investor advisory committee to the sec. And again, this investor advisory committee is supposed to be air quotes independent. And I don't think it's so independent because literally the wording 
of what they filed uh, this report that they put out or recommendations that they gave to the SEC. So this independent committee has the job to recommend things to uh, the SEC to protect the investors. So if there's something that the SEC missed out, this committee would point it out and say, hey, why don't you look at this to protect the investors better? But clearly the, these recommendations are basically something Gary Gensler, who's the, excuse me, SEC chairman, He's been pushing for for months at this point. So some of the recommendations were kind of uh, that all essentially all tokens in crypto are securities and the SEC should pursue aggressive enforcements against them, which is something Gary Gensler has been saying all along, like everything is a security except Bitcoin. And I'm sure if he had a way to turn Bitcoin into a security, he would. So um Another, what was the craziest and seriously the craziest thing that was in this recommendation list was that this committee argues that crypto harms racial minorities. And if you read between the lines, first of all, it's absolutely crap what they're claiming because clearly they they haven't done their research. Crypto is actually the most inclusive financial technology out there right now because those that don't have bank accounts can just open up a wallet and start transacting with each other without the need of an intermediary most of these banks require you to show a steady paycheck it require you to show your credit score some people are struggling with that majority of people that don't have bank accounts don't have them because of all these requirements with these banks and on top of that they charge you a fee to hold your own money. And then this committee comes out and says, oh, crypto harms racial minorities. So they're now at this point, it's come down to the point where people are calling crypto racist. <laughs> it's further from the truth. And I'm laughing because I'm in disgust of how low the government can stoop. Um, and the sad part is most people see through this BS. They They have done their research. They know the value proposition that crypto brings to the market, why Bitcoin even exists, 2008 financial crisis. There's no trust in these centralized authorities. So these agencies are basically blatantly showing that we want to protect our existing financial system, which is broken because it breaks every 10 years. It broke in 2008 and it's breaking right now. All these banks are collapsing. So I, I don't see how they don't see through the fact that we will see through it. But again, they're doing their best, which is kind of good for us because then overall, if they're scared of us, it's a good thing because that means we're doing something right. Uh, the United States, again, the next one is the United States arm of global uh, crypto exchange Binance. So Binance has a Binance US entity. And this is the, this is the stuff I'm talking about. The hypocrisy of these government agencies, they say they're protecting investors. They say they're protecting the common person. But we all know that 20% of U.S. citizens have interacted or hold crypto. So that's a huge, that's a huge number. One out of five. That, that's a very big number. So when you see this, um, CZ Binance came out and said that the U.S. arm of Binance is currently facing a lot of challenges establishing new banking partners in the U.S. 
to serve their fiat on-ramp and off-ramps. So for people to be able to buy crypto with their US dollars or convert their crypto into US dollars through Binance US, it's something they can't do right now. And Binance is having to park their money for Binance US in intermediary banks and service providers, which is not safe at all. So the, the thing is, um, this is all happening because of literally centralization in terms of the banks that were supporting crypto and all of them getting taken down by the government. Silvergate and um, Signature Bank, literally the two biggest banks in crypto, gone within two weeks of each other. And when I come back to my disgust with the double standards when it comes to, yeah, we want to protect our investors. Well, if you really want to protect the investors, you wouldn't make banking harder for the industry that your investors want to invest in. This only makes it more riskier for people in the US to put their money in these exchanges because they can't find banking partners. So God forbid, if there's another bank run, Binance is going to be struggling. So that's that's my take. Um, and then you see the SEC come out and claim they're doing all this to protect the investors. So everybody sees through this BS. It's I don't want to spend more time on it, but wanted to bring up what's happening for Operation Chokepoint 2.0 this week. So I don't see this stopping anytime soon uh, because in order for this to change, Congress has to pass new regulations. But again, at the government level, it's clear that the current administration is not a big fan of crypto. So I don't expect any new regulations um, to come anytime soon. So brace for more impact. Moving on to central bank digital currency news. So all of you that have stayed in touch with everything that I cover, central bank digital currencies are really high up in my priority list of things to follow because we still are in the search for the first successful and when I say successful, it comes with a lot of caveats. Uh, successful in the sense that is it inclusive? Are people that are unbanked being able to use this technology? Is it more uh, transparent? Well, not transparent, but like, is it more efficient than the traditional banking? Is it 24-7? And does it protect the privacy rights of every individual? Or is it just another layer of a surveillance tool by the government on its people? which is the biggest currency, uh, biggest concern with the av average adoption rate of all the pilot programs that are happening around the world because we're still, even China, which I feel China is the, high, uh, is the furthest in terms of innovation, in terms of uh, CBDCs, but it's still not widely adopted yet. It's still in its later pilot program. So the Central Bank of Montenegro has signed a deal with Ripple and again, those of you that don't know Ripple, Ripple is a blockchain service provider payments company. They use the digital token XRP to transfer value across borders with minimum to no fees at all compared to the 5% or 3 or 5% you have to pay with Western Union MoneyGram and get crap rates and it still takes 5 to 7 days. I have personally experienced it. It's very Cross-border payments are very painful right now. 
So Ripple solves that problem. And Ripple also happens to be the company that is being sued by the SEC for selling XRP as a security, which is, again, not don't want to go into the lawsuit, but another BS lawsuit against a very legitimate U.S. company. So where um, does this uh, up? Where does this pilot program stand right now? The <clears throat> the program is been signed, so the deal has been signed with Ripple. And the highlight of what they're trying to do with this program is they're trying to analyze the advantages and the risks of CBDCs on national stable coins or national stable coins that that could uh, pose any concerns with uh, anything with electronic payments, availability, security, efficiency, compliance with regulations, and most importantly, the protection of the rights and privacy of its end users. So I do like that these are all the highlighted things they're going to be working on, and they do state that privacy is the most important to them. Um, so this country does use the euro um, as its main currency. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if this is going to be a digital euro, but specific to Montenegro and how this is going to be set up. So uh, once the pilot program goes live, I'll keep you updated on how that's going. Um, moving along to regulatory updates. So regulations around the world, these are very important to know because that shows you which countries actually understand crypto or pro crypto, which countries aren't, and what are some of those um those regulations looking like. So um, the Argentinian security regulators, so the SEC of Argentina, they have approved a futures Bitcoin index, making it the first regulated Bitcoin futures index in Latin America, which is kind of a huge deal, even though I personally am not a fan of futures because futures kind of cause manipulation in the market but looking at the condition of argentina where the hyperinflation is going rampant i think it's up a hundred percent over last year um, it's definitely looking really bad for the argentinian government the average argentinian uh, people are struggling and bitcoin is selling at a premium there i think and compared to the argentinian currency it's just skyrocketing right now, which looks nice on charts, but it shows you how fast their currency is debasing. And that is what Bitcoin was designed to do is protect people and their value when their currency loses value so fast. So the Argentinian government is definitely very desperate right now for new capital. So this is this this is, I'll say, overall a net positive for the country and overall crypto adoption because most people, again, do not know how to use a hardware wallet. They don't know how to buy a Bitcoin from someone or an exchange. So this will make it easier for them to get their hands on Bitcoin. Um, so good news there. Um, an interesting change of events. This this is something that went under the radar because mainstream media did not cover this uh, too well. And I exactly know why mainstream media did not talk about this too well because it didn't serve the agenda of anti-crypto. Um, so what happened is everybody knows that the SEC has been touting its horn, claiming that every lawsuit that they've ever brought against crypto, they've won and they're yet to lose a lawsuit. 
I have made it public and I have shared it with you why that's the case, because they're basically acting like a mafia. SEC has billions and billions of dollars and all that money comes from taxpayers like us. So they're they're literally misusing funds. And I say misusing because half of these lawsuits are against legitimate companies. They sued Coinbase recently and Coinbase went IPO. So if you follow the logic, and I'll get to this news piece, but if you follow the logic, SEC could not have let Coinbase IPO if Coinbase wasn't compliant. It's the basic procedure of any company going IPO. They have to send a bunch of documents, have to have a ton of meetings with the SEC. And that's not just one meeting. It's over months, sometimes years, telling the SEC we're planning to go public. We're going to offer stock to people. Here's our finances. Here's our regulations. Here's our compliance. Here's our risk assessment. Here's the products we're offering. SEC did all of that and said, yes, you can IPO. Coinbase goes IPO. SEC comes back and says, oh, by the way, we're going to sue you. How can you sue them when you just approved them? Like, it's just bonkers. Like, none of this makes any logical sense. So they're not even being, like, shy about it. They're openly, clearly stating they're bad faith regulators. Gary Gensler just has made himself an image that he doesn't care about the industry. I don't know why he's doing what he's doing. Well, I have an idea why protecting the incumbent banks. That's that's intentionally why destroying competition. Um, but that's not the American values. Um, the free market idea is like definitely being tried to destroy by the SEC. So what's going on with the SEC and the and the Coinbase company? So um, Nikhil Wahi, uh, this guy was the brother of a former Coinbase product manager, Ishan Wahi. Um, he has returned, he has, uh, these brothers were alleged, well, alleged by Coinbase uh, for insider trading. Uh, they apparently made some money where the brother that worked in Coinbase would tell his brother that didn't work in Coinbase, whenever a new token would be listed, would about to be listed, he would buy up a bunch of those tokens beforehand. And then right when the announcement would go out, he would sell them. So that's pretty much like insider trading. Um, so they did plead guilty, both the brothers. I think both of them served uh, about 10, 11 months in prison. And the brother that didn't work at Coinbase, he made, I think, about $400,000 or something. I don't know how much the amount was, but he has come into an agreement with the courts that he will be returning the entire amount within 20 years to Coinbase. And in a separate case here, so since he was in good faith and he collaborated with the courts and the government, he he got a lesser sentence. Um, in a different case, the SEC sued the brothers again. So here's the thing. Coinbase went after these guys, and then SEC literally took a second and was like, hey, by the way, we're also going to sue you. And you can guess why the SEC sued these brothers. They sued them claiming that these guys were trading uh, illegal securities, calling those token securities. And here's where things get very interesting. SEC sued these guys thinking Coinbase is not going to come to their rescue because they, they did Coinbase dirty, right? They tarnished the, 
brand of Coinbase. Why would Coinbase even care about protecting these people? SEC did not see that Coinbase would come in. So when this case was filed against these people, Coinbase in a surprise attack, they filed a amicus brief. So what is an amicus brief? Not going to go into too much detail. It's just a document to the court. Like they send a document. You can send a document to the judge providing your insights as a person involved in the industry in which the case is being brought. So Coinbase filed an amicus brief stating that this, this claim by SEC is uh, bonkers because those things, those tokens do not pass the Howey test. And the Howey test is a test that the SEC uses to uh, basically determine if something is a security or not. And guess what? SEC backed out. SEC settled the case with these guys. Like they just said, we're not going to go move forward with this case. So definitely the SEC was trying to be sneaky and try to get this lawsuit in so that they can somehow get a ruling that, oh, these tokens were securities. And then they would take the ruling of this lawsuit and go to other lawsuits like the Ripple lawsuit. And then they have the Coinbase lawsuit. Then they have a bunch of other lawsuits and then go to the judges there and say, hey, judge, look here. Uh, this case, they the judge said these were securities, so you should also say these are securities. So that that's a dirty game the SEC was playing, but the but Coinbase literally came to the rescue of the people that did them dirty, which is so funny because Coinbase sees the bigger game. Brian Armstrong, he knows the only way the SEC can win if people keep fighting amongst each other within the industry. So Coinbase filing that Amica's brief stopped SEC in their tracks. Because SEC doesn't have a case. If SEC genuinely thought all these tokens were securities, they would have counter-argued and brought new facts in, but they decided to settle. Why do you think that happened? Because they don't know. They don't have the they don't have any proof of whatever they claim. Whenever any industry player goes to the SEC, ask them, hey guys, how uh how do I proceed with these tokens? I don't think it follows the Howey test, but I want your opinion. And all they do is like crickets they collect all the information and then gary Gensler goes to public media and keeps saying come in and register with us talk to us well gary Gensler talked to us policies very clear he collects all the information from you and then comes back and sues you with that information so why the hell would someone go and talk to him if he's just going to work like that so very interesting win for the crypto industry and loss for the SEC, which always feels nice. Um, another thing happening in Arkansas. Um, so Arkansas Data Centers Act. So this bill is uh, has successfully passed uh, the first level. And I think at, at this point, it's only uh, it's waiting for the governor to sign the bill. So it's like at the last stage of it. And I don't think there's any issues at the governor's level unless the governor finds something really wrong with the bill where they can then veto it or something. But this bill is absolutely important. And you're going to ask me like, Ricky, why is a data center act? It's not even related to crypto. Here's the thing, guys, the bill, what it actually does, it grants crypto miners. So mostly Bitcoin miners in the state of Arkansas, the same rights as data centers. So with other uh, states like New York, and I think there's a bill that's being passed right now, not passed, but a bill that has been introduced in Texas 
and a bunch of other states to kind of cut out crypto mining in the US. So uh, this bill making crypto miners at par with data centers opens up uh, things for mining adoption within the state of Arkansas. And Wyoming has similar laws. Um, so this act um, only is, is really good for uh, crypto mining within the state. And I hope, um, so this only helps in, uh, the biggest help that this will do for crypto mining is it will protect Bitcoin miners and other crypto miners from the discrimination that usually comes with being a miner in terms of regulations and taxes. So that should that should help some of the adoption there. Uh, talking about adoption, let's talk in, uh, let's talk about uh, my favorite section, which is the adoption news. Adoption news we cover all parts of the world how people are adopting this technology and what's happening. So the Ethereum Chappella upgrade has successfully taken place. And what is the Chappella upgrade? It is a combination of two upgrades. It's Capella upgrade and Shanghai upgrade. So the major, major, major piece for this upgrade is all the validators, people that are validating uh, transactions on Ethereum after it turned from proof of work to proof of stake, they will now be able to unlock their uh, their rewards and also unlock their uh, their validators. So if they want to sell their validators to run an Ethereum validator, you need 32 Ethereum. And the current rate of return is about 4.5 to 4.9% per annum. Um, you secure the network, you get the transaction fees, and you also get a certain fees for validating the transactions. So the only reason Ethereum, so right now, 15% of the total Ethereum in circulation is locked up in the staking contract. And if you compare it to other blockchains, which are proof of stake, like Cardano, Polkadot, um, Cosmos, a bunch of others, they have about um, Solana, they have close to 50 to 70% staking. So if you compare that to 15% for Ethereum, you would think, oh, why is Ethereum's lockup so low? Well, the reason was when staking went live, there was no way for people to get their money out. So people were locked in until this upgrade that went live just hours before uh, this roundup. Um, they were locked in for years, like I think two and a half years. So having your money stuck for two and a half years in today's times, is not it's not it's not good so my speculation here is as people can now unstake their ethereum and opt out of validating whenever they want more people are going to have more confidence in the staking and they will stake more so over a period of time ethereum staking is going to go up from 15 percent of total supply to i i would assume about 40 percent in the next six months and what does that do for Ethereum? Again, I'm no price speculator. I don't talk about prices, but for overall adoption and the tokenomics of Ethereum, the, the supply of Ethereum over time is going down. It's even better than Bitcoin at that point because the more network gets used, the more Ethereum gets burnt. And right now, Ethereum is in a decline, decline in terms of supply. So there's more Ethereum being burnt than Ethereum being generated or created. So it's only if you lock up more Ethereum, there's less Ethereum available and the demand remaining constant, you know what happens. So 
very, very bullish on um, everything Ethereum. So congratulations to everybody in the Ethereum ecosystem. Chappella is successfully out there. Um, so yeah, pretty good. Let's move to Hong Kong now. So the ZA Bank, ZA uh, Bank, it's one of, it's actually the largest virtual bank by assets in Hong Kong. A virtual bank is very simple. It's like uh, in the US, uh, uh, if you know, if you use Discover credit cards, they also have a bank. So Discover also provides savings and checking accounts. So these are virtual banks, which means they don't have a physical branch anywhere. Um, they save on the cost of having operating a physical branch and they pass those profits of uh, less cost off to the customer so they can generally provide better interest rates and better services zero balance accounts, things like that. So ZaBank is the largest uh, virtual bank in Hong Kong, and it's reportedly set to provide crypto account services and facilitate crypto to fiat exchanges. Um, they already stated that the they're working on regulations and stuff uh, in Hong Kong. So what the ZaBank is going to allow you to do is right through the bank you'll be able to not only buy crypto with your uh with your fiat currency but also you can exchange your crypto into a fiat right through the bank which is insane and hong kong has already mentioned like they have come out publicly stating a few months ago i mentioned that in one of the roundups they want to see um crypto adoption move to hong kong they want hong kong to be the crypto hub of the world and this is a perfect opportunity because U.S. is pushing crypto out of the country and it's going to countries like Hong Kong, which are very pro uh, crypto right now. And, and the banks are working with the regulators to create an ecosystem for sustainable growth. Um, so good news for Hong Kong. Uh, moving along, Razer, uh, which is one of my favorite gaming hardware companies. Uh, Razer creates really high quality hardware like keyboards, mouse, um, cabinets, monitors, gaming devices. It's a huge company. It's a green logo. If you haven't seen it, look it up. Razer gaming apparels hardware. Um, so Razer is a very well-known company. And they recently announced that they're going to be expanding their business into Web3. And what does that entail? So they're trying to create a new gaming incubator uh, under the venture capitalist arm called Z Ventures, um, Web3 Incubators, so ZW3I. Um, this, venture, this venture capitalist arm is basically going to be tasked with coming up with uh, fostering new games in Web3 and also creating the next killer apps in Web3 using blockchain. So um, excited for Razer. I know they have a huge brand and this they will put a lot of thought and effort into how they go about this with this new venture, uh, venture they're going after. Uh, some interesting news coming out from the cartoon and animation industry. Uh, so Angel Studios, which is a wholesome, family-friendly, free-to-watch model streaming service uh, in the US, they have billions of views on their content. Um, they have announced that the next episode of Turtle Twins, which is set to be one of the most watched shows on the streaming service, on May 2nd, um, 
the episode that's going to air on May 2nd. I believe they're supposed to um, basically um, have a piece about crypto or Bitcoin. Um, so it should be exciting because this is like a family friendly, like everybody watches together kind of deal. So um, Turtle Twins, one of the most uh, famous shows on that streaming platform, going to be talking about crypto and Bitcoin. So pretty exciting. Um, next piece, and this is this is a super important one, and I want to close out with this one because people don't realize how big this news is. So Bakkt, B-A-K-K-T, and they have been around for a while. I remember following Bakkt back in like about three years ago, four years ago. They have been around in crypto. So this company was created, first of all, by the Intercontinental Exchange, so ICE. Again, ICE is the parent company of the New York Stock Exchange. So the parent company of the New York Stock Exchange created this company backed uh, to basically foster crypto innovation and adoption. So they have their own business to business and business to customer platform. So backed has signed a $155 million deal. Um, uh, and they basically have acquired Apex Crypto and this, this company. So Apex Crypto is a company that kind of identifies as a turnkey platform uh, to integrate crypto trading. So it looks like back to trying to get into crypto trading now. So uh, with the acquisition of this company, uh, I believe they'll be able to expand their product suite and they're slowly, because what happened with back, they came out with all these exciting partnerships with a bunch of big companies like Microsoft. Uh, what was it? Uh, Starbucks and I think GameStop was involved. I can't remember, but they're a bunch of big names that they partnered with and then made this huge announcement. And all of a sudden, they just, they, I don't think they succeeded. Oh, I don't know what happened, but they just went like under the radar. Um, so it's good to see that they're still relevant. And uh, with this new fresh acquisition, they're trying to expand their product line right before the bull market to make the most of that, I guess. Um, so pretty exciting stuff for adoption there. Um, with that, those were all the updates that I had. Uh, I want to thank you all for joining. Uh, love you all. Take care, everybody. And we will catch you all next week.